Testament, when we actually saw him, were revealed by Isaiah. For example, it was Isaiah who literally stated that Jesus Christ was not a fine boy. Those of you who see those pictures of Jesus Christ with the nice blue eyes and the perfect blonde hair and the beard and all of those things. Right now in his glorified body, I believe he is super handsome. Hallelujah. But while he was walking here on earth, Jesus Christ wasn't handsome. Because Isaiah prophesied that he had no beauty. There was no beauty in him. There was no comeliness. There was no handsomeness. He didn't have any charm. And the reason God made him that way was that he wanted people to follow him for what he was saying and not for how he looked. Hallelujah. Because we human beings will respond to proper packaging. If the thing is well packaged, we shall follow it even if we don't understand the context. And unfortunately, that is one of the biggest problems of Christianity now. You see, we are, we are outward people. We are, we are a hair-feeling generation instead of a voice discerning generation and i'll explain what i mean by a hair feeling generation as against a voice discerning generation isaac was blind like how most christians are blind now and esau was the one supposed to present him with a meal but jacob did some 419 and replaced it and the bible said he took the fair or the or the skin of the animal he had killed because Esau was a hairy man. So when Isaac, who was blind, had Jacob in front of him when he was about to give the blessing, when he touched him, he said, This is the skin of Esau. It feels like Esau, but the voice is the voice of Jacob. So he had a clear choice to choose between the feeling of the hair and the voice that he was listening to. And he made a mistake of going for the outward instead of discerning the voice. That's why I'm saying that we are a hair-feeling generation instead of a voice-discerning generation. We are not listening to the voices. We are looking at the packaging, how beautiful the thing is. The first step of any immoral act is your thoughts. Everybody say thoughts. I always have a mantra that if you can win in your mind you wouldn't have to fight in the body if you can win you see most of you are medical people when you look at the pathophysiology of a disease right and you want to deal with the disease the higher up the algorithm the easier it is to deal with it all right the easiest level to deal with sin is at the level of the mind that's the easiest it's at the level of the thought it's easier to deal with sin at the level of the thought than when it becomes an action when it gets to habit and those things it becomes more and more difficult if you can deal with it at the mind level that is the easiest but most people wait till you've gone down a bit before you try to deal with it if you can discipline yourself and discipline your mind you wouldn't fall into a lot of the temptations you fall into hallelujah i told you on sunday that most temptations are actually a conversation between you and the devil that that's temptation basically from the garden of eden to where temptation is actually a conversation satan is having with you the longer the conversation progresses the weaker you become when it gets to that point when now he's getting you to think of the potential temporary immediate benefits of what he's trying to push you to do you tend to get more enticed and more enticed and weaker and weaker if you can cut it short early you stand a better chance of overcoming it hallelujah what you don't think about you will not do what you don't think about you will not do the things you do are the things you've been thinking about and sometimes you move from even the level of thinking to meditating deeper you don't just think about it you ponder and you meditate just like how when you meditate upon the word of god it sinks into your spirit 
when you meditate on immoral things some things do happen to your spirit man hallelujah just like meditating on the word of god strengthens your spirit man meditating on immoral things weakens your spirit man so you find yourself gravitating towards the thing that the enemy is trying to get you to do it is in the mind if you can keep your mind pure you keep your body pure it's as simple as that when thoughts come into your mind you deal with them at the thought level don't waste an extra minute meditating on that thing because that extra minute means an extra minute of weakness you get weaker so you throw it out of your mind immediately it comes when satan brings suggestions into your mind you throw it out immediately if you will meditate and think and roll it around in your mind and now you begin to project as to how it will feel then you are beginning to lose the battle because once you start entering those realms or he brings back memories of the last time you did it how nice it felt that means you are beginning to lose it so you cut it at a very early stage hallelujah when certain thoughts are coming into your mind bundle them out violently you see the bible talks about casting down imaginations casting down is a very violent giddy giddy uncompromised just cast it down imaginations if you can catch what i'm saying and you will practice it you won't struggle with a lot of the things that you are struggling with if you can be very violent in your mind and you can be very radical in your mind when it comes to dealing with thoughts that are not pure you realize that a lot of your struggles will be over and may the lord give us the strength to cast down imaginations you see if you are in a relationship me people come and ask me okay how far is too far <laughs> let's stay here no <laughs> how far is too far and you know my answer to that anything you can do with the third person there is too far hallelujah that's the guideline anything you can do comfortably when there is a third person it doesn't even have to be your pastor <laughs> anything the two of you cannot do with a third person there is too far as a couple cotton you are not entitled to privacy you are not entitled to privacy so that thing that when she comes to visit and your roommate is there you are like why are you around you don't have that right a married man and his wife are entitled to privacy because they are one you understand you are still two individuals so together you are not entitled to your privacy So this thing that he has for my roommate when she comes around he doesn't even leave he has every right to be there he can come and sit down and even chat with you some he has also paid for the room why are you in a hurry for him to go out <laughs> why are you in a hurry for him to go out why are you in a hurry for her to go out you see these things they are all signs when you start getting agitated just because he's there it means some bad things want to happen in your mind may the lord cast out bad intentions me i tell people look don't go and sleep on your beloved's bed i'm not saying if you do that you will go to hell but common sense don't go and sleep on your beloved's bed especially when you are wearing a skirt i told you today i'm going practical <laughs> when you are wearing a skirt and that day you are tired so you are feeling sleepy you aren't just lying down you you fell asleep there are some people they can sleep in one position for eight hours and they wouldn't have moved there are others after one hour you come their head is here their leg is there 
and you come to sleep on the young man's bed. How can a young man keep his way pure? <laughs> when you want to walk in moral purity, eh, you have to eliminate the things that can get you on that path as radically as possible. And also keep yourself innocent from knowing certain things. If you don't know the website to go to for those nasty pictures, you won't be tempted by it. The Bible says, be excellent at what is good and be innocent of evil. When it comes to certain things, be like a child. Don't go fishing for information that is not going to add anything to your life. What are the most popular uh, pornographic websites? You are going to Google that for what? What does that add to your spirituality? And you go and discover things that you want to find further and better particulars for. At the end of the day you end up trapping yourself be excellent at what is good and be innocent when it comes to evil that's on conversations when they are having you shouldn't be able to say anything because you are you know you just don't know when they say oh, ask for you there you don't know anything say hey, it's good when it comes to good things me too i know hallelujah he says whatever things are pure whatever things are of good report think on these things that should be your specialty don't get too knowledgeable about things that are shady in some way some of you your problem is that you know too much you know too much you may not have done but you know for the Lord sees and he doesn't just see he sees it clearly what a man does examining every path he takes every every single path every single decision you take every house you enter every room you enter every corner you go into every darkness every back seat of a car he has seen you there are certain benefits you get from us coming here together that you will not have being alone in your room. Just as there are advantages of fellowshipping alone with God that you will not get in coming here. So if you want to be a holistic believer, you have to combine the two principles. A lot of people think God is like you see, we treat God like a reserve. We take care of every other thing. And the extra time that is left, that is what we give to God. 
as somebody say we are treating God as a DOG instead of a GOD. We've turned it round. In most people's houses, it's the leftover food that is given to the dog, the bones and things like that. And that is how we are treating God. It's like all other cares must be taken care of before God. If you really understand this thing called Christianity, you will not think that way. And if you understand that eternity is more important than this realm of time that we are in here, you will not think that way. The most important group you can belong to in your life, in your existence, so long as you call yourself a, a Christian, is church. That's the most important. It's more important than, than the school or that institution you belong to. Why? Because the average man has about 70 years to live. That school is giving you a certificate that has an expiry date up to the day you die. You can't cross eternity with your certificates. Uh, Charlie, make a carry. You are going to die. Let me carry MBCHB. Your nursing, whatever they say, go. It, it has no value there. But you have eternity ahead of you, which is not 100 years, it's not 200 years, it's not 1,000 years, it's not million years, it's forever and ever and ever and ever. So if there is an institution or a group you can belong to that will give you access into eternity and determine how well you will live in eternity. For me, that institution is more important to me than the one that will give me something whose value will expire the day I die. I don't know if you are getting the point I'm making. The, the most important group you can belong to in your life is church. But really, look at your life. Look at your life right now. When I said it, almost everybody nodded. That means you agree with me. But the reality on the ground right now, is it really so? Is it really so? It's not. When it comes to the church activities, we have selected which ones we want. But you don't select which ones you want with school. I must attend every lecture. The time your lecturer has given for this lecture to start, you strive hard to make sure you get there at the time. If they say today we are having lectures from morning to 5 p.m., you stay to the end. If I say we will close church at 5 today, hmm, people will stop listening to the sermon. Suddenly, <laughs> restlessness will come in and people's faces will change and they will suddenly start stretching and making me uncomfortable so that I will close the meeting. So that we can all go home. But we are able to stay in class. Morning. Continue. Some of the lectures, boring lectures. You come and talk monotonous tone. But because you know there's an exam you must pass, you open your ears and listen. Even if you are sleeping, crying, you get up and shake yourself. And the wife is church, I lay, make a bed. Sleep and open your mouth. Like that. So even though church is supposed to be the most important group, the most important institution for us, we are not living like that. And I don't think it pleases God. It doesn't please God. Look, if you are a member of this church, and you are going to be like a faithful member with every meeting, and there are people like that, they attend every single meeting, they are not dead. They are still very much alive. Hallelujah. There are people, if I don't see them at a gathering, I'm worried because I know there must definitely be a strong reason why they are not around. Some people have made themselves Sunday believers, Sabbath believers, Sabbatarians. <laughs> Just made themselves. If you want to be faithful with every meeting, this church, we have Sunday service, we have midweek service, we have prayer meeting. Now, every fortnight, we have cell groups. And then, what else? That's it. If you are in a subgroup, you will meet once a week. Choir, prayer, evangelism, you meet once a week. I've done this calculation for you before. In a whole week, you have 168 hours. That's 24 hours times 7. 24 times 7. 
is 168 hours. The 168 hours, if you are going to be faithful with every one of these things, let's look at approximately what percentage of the 168 hours that you will use. Church is from 9, 7 to, we close roughly 10 o'clock, so let's say 3 hours. Even though most of you, it's just about one and a half hours. Because you arrive around 8.15, 8.30 and things like that. At a point today, me thought will be half of this place. So let's say, you let's even use the whole three hours. Three hours. Midweek service, 7 o'clock, 8.30, we are done one and a half hours. So three hours plus one and a half hours is what? Four and a half hours. Prayer meeting, one hour. So five and a half hours. If you are in a subgroup, maybe one hour, one and a half hours. So you let's say one and a half hours. So seven hours. Somebody should compute seven divided by 168 times 100. And give me the percentage of your time in the week that you use for church. If you are going to be faithful with everything that we do. 4.2%. If you had an exam tomorrow and got 4.2%, will you, will you be happy? But it's just 4.2% too. But in our minds, it's so much. Hey, how can I come for midweek service? Come for Sunday service. And these ones, God, we are doing it with the assumption that you came on time. So if we use the real time that you come, it will probably be like 2 2% of your time. But in our minds, it is too much. We feel like if we come to church on Sunday, Charlie, we have tried. You haven't tried. You haven't done anything. There is more that you can do. Hallelujah. There is more you can do. 4.2%. And when an higher result comes and it's not the way you like it, the first thing you want to accuse is the 4.2%. What happened to the 95.8%? Is my calculation right? 95.8%. And it's like when things go wrong, the first thing you want to do is to chip some of the 4.2%. Take some off. So now, because I was expecting 82% and I got 80%. May, may that be your portion. 80% spirit of excellence. <laughs> because I, I didn't want to talk 40 things in <laughs> 30s. Because I was expecting 82% and I had 80%. Let me cut out midweek service. So that I can make up. You really think it's fair? The 4.2% declare minority. If we voted for some people and somebody got 4.2%, can he be president in this country? You never go near the flagstaff house. Clear minority. But that is what you are, you are blaming. It's like the economy is not good. And you are going to blame... Um, what's this? Epia Donko. Or one of those minorities. Or Pakwesi Hindu. Or CPP. And you have CPP's office door. Hey, you people... The, the things are not good in the country. Meanwhile, those with the bigger percentages are there. The ones that are at the helm of affairs. The ones controlling your life. They are there. So, when, when you complain about church and meetings, and because of this, I won't come for this, I won't come for this. That's exactly what you are doing. It's like blaming CPP. Who had just 1%. I don't think they even reached 1% in the last election. Or PPP. All of them put together. I don't think even the 4% we are talking about they got. And they are the ones rather you are blaming. And accusing of spoiling your life. Meanwhile there's some 95.8%. Only God knows. Sleep probably takes like 42%. Gossiping, 10%. Watching TV, 20%. 
explain what's up 93 percent <laughs> there are a lot of things that happen to you in church and it's because of the presence of jesus in our midst it's not necessarily because of the word that you receive isn't that other times when maybe there's some fear in you you come to church nobody preaches about fear nobody raises a song and ministers to you about fear but you leave and the fear has left your heart when jesus is in our midst he's not coming here to come and listen to our sermon it doesn't do anything for him he comes in here to meet you at the point of your need to be a blessing unto you that is that's the reason why jesus comes he doesn't come because i'm coming to talk about church and so hey you are speaking to me you are dialing my number my preaching doesn't do anything to him he's here to meet people at the point of them so there are needs that will be met not from the pulpit not from the organ not from the instrumentalist but by the mere presence of jesus christ in our midst they needed an impartation of peace because at that time they were worried their master had been killed they knew if they found them anywhere they'll be killed so it's like their mind didn't have peace there are times when you are afraid of things there are things upon your mind it's like worries boom but you come to church and you live and suddenly there's this peace that you cannot understand it was because of the presence of jesus christ in our midst so when people come to church because of a personality if the head pastor doesn't come to church or he has traveled i'm not going to come to church it means you don't understand what it means when we gather as believers that's because we think everything we receive from here is what comes from the pulpit what comes to the reading the, the preaching of the word what comes to the praise what comes to the worship what comes from the instrumentalist no jesus christ himself is here not to be ministered to but to minister to people and to meet them at the point of their need and so by just being here the sermon may not be for you you may be above it you may even know the sermon and preach it better but by being here there is a certain need of yours that jesus christ meets you know things happen in our lives and we don't know why we can't explain where did this opening come from where did this solution to this problem come from sometimes you come to church you leave and something you have been battling with in terms of how to solve it suddenly nobody preached a word about it nobody said anything about it you leave and suddenly an idea comes to your mind it's because jesus christ was here he has promised wherever two or three are god dead in my name i'm there it is a covenant he's made with us so he will come that is the only time you are assured of that presence of jesus as for your room he can choose to come the holy spirit is there he can choose to come he can choose not to come but when you come to a place where people are gathered in his name because of his own words he is bound by them and he must appear and when he comes he's not coming to receive but rather to give And I pray that today Jesus will meet a certain need of yours. It may not come from my preaching. It may not come from the words that I'm speaking. It may not come from any prophetic declaration that I'm making. But because of the mere presence of Jesus in this place, may He touch you. And may He meet you at the point of mistake. Reason number one. Laziness. Say laziness. Uh, this one, I, I'll preach it clean. Raw. I mean, I don't fear. Sakati don't know. I don't fear I will preach it laziness laziness especially when the weather is cold and it has rained in ghana rain means everything becomes slow when the weather becomes cool that is why you won't get a visa to go to canada if you call this cold and because of that you not go to church in Canada, when you are freezing and your, your jaws are knocking against each other, said that in church you can't even sing. When you are singing, it's like you are speaking in tongues. Then that one, you will make an idol in your room <laughs> and call it Jesus Christ of Toronto <laughs> and be worshipping it. Hmm? Sometimes when God doesn't open certain doors for us, we don't understand. No. God knows your heart and He knows the future. That this place, bah! you if you go you stop following me so because me too i like you 
and I want you around, I shall not open the doors. In my you to hear God, 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 praying. I say, I push the door open. I break it. I break it. I break it. Don't break it. Your soul is more important to God than your wallet. That job they promise you, Canada, oh, come with this and say, you go and wash plates and you get money. He knows if you go, your soul is in danger. The soul is more important to him than the wallet. He came for your soul, not your wallet, not your bank account. So he too, he will lock the door. And because you don't even have discernment, you continue praying and breaking the door and wasting your energy. When you should be praying for other things, lost souls, you know, unbelievers and things like that. You'll be wasting time. Laziness. Pure laziness. We are just lazy. You wake up in the morning and it's like, Dali, the bed feels nice. Today the weather brings itself. The weather has brought itself. When you say such things, you are not a believer. <laughs> the weather has brought itself. Yeah, today, yeah. But if it's a school, even if the weather brings itself, you to you take yourself to the weather. Laziness, number one reason. May we repent from laziness in Jesus' name. Number two, you don't love God and the things of God enough. It's as simple as that. You just don't love that. Today, as I say, I'm giving it to you straight. I don't need a ruler. Straight. You don't love God and the things of God enough. That's why this week you are in church, next week you are not. This week you are in church, next week you are not. You, you don't, if you love God, why should it be a problem coming from midweek? When during that time, it's not like you are doing anything. There's something wrong somewhere, which you need to work on. So I'm injecting you with a therapeutic drug, which will help you to change. Hallelujah. You just don't love God and the things of God enough. Those who love, look, even in the physical, when you are in love, you are in a hurry. When there is a date, you are in a hurry, you can't sleep. Oh, the last time, Saturday, you couldn't sleep because Charlie Sunday, we are coming to church. Or Wednesday, you are in school and I'm in a hurry to come for midweek service. When it's time for the date, hey, everything else comes to a standstill. And you are looking forward to meeting that person because that person is special. God is not special in your life. No, 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 no. Some of you, the song we sang today, you shouldn't have sung something. I love you. You don't love God. You love school. You love your beloved. You love your job. You love money. You love sleep and your bed and your pillow. They are your comforters. It's not the Holy Ghost. Of your pillow. You just love the sleep. Hug the pillow like that and put on the fan. <laughs> in third heaven. It's sweet. <laughs> you don't love God. Though. When we sing such songs, you should be crying and repenting. So if you live that love, you don't know you don't love God. You love your school more. If you really love God, if it's Wednesday evening, Saturday evening, some of you have you ever asked yourself, why is it that I, I, I ask for me, I've never come for a prayer meeting before? It is a love problem. It's a love problem. It's not like you live so far away. Look, in the natural, when you love somebody, that's why I said, Domi Abra, you will go. Somebody said, even if you were far away behind the Mediterranean Sea, I will swim across just to give you a flower. <laughs> that is love. The day we were going for our engagement at my wife's house, long distance from my house, my aunties were like, hey, so you were making this trip all this while. Long there, we were going, we were not reaching. <laughs> so you were making this trip 
wings in long distance. When there is love distance, is not a problem. It is never a problem. When you start using distance as an excuse, it means there's a love problem. It's a love problem. Somebody went to Bolgatanga. Traveled the entire length of the country to go and marry a bride. That's right. That is proper love. No matter what the pastor says. And some of you are saying that right now. I have preached and preached and said things and said, in your mind, I won't do. A woman told the story. She said, she has children. A gun woman. She said, there's one stubborn one. When you send her, go and take this one. You look at you and say, yeah. It means, I won't go. Little one. Some of you are like that. Yeah. I'm saying, come to church, incoming. <laughs> fellowship with the brethren, in fellowship. Be. That's what you are saying to yourself today. Yeah. See the way I preach and I'm sweating. You don't care that I preach in your mind. Yeah. I will not come. I have made up my mind. As for my Wednesdays, it's for me. As for my Saturdays, it's for me. Inya. Maybe we should officially recognize the Inya ministry in the church. It's another subgroup. Inya. I will not come. I pray that the Inya spirit will not overcome you in the name of Jesus. Tonight, listen to this messenger of God that I say it shall be well with you. Sorrow shall depart from your household. Barrenness shall depart from your household. Lack shall depart from your household. When you go, your going is blessed. When you come, your coming is blessed. The highways and the byways are safe for your sake. Your finances are turning around in the name of Jesus. Poverty is far away from your dwelling. Your feet shall continually be planted in the house of God. Backsliding is far away from you. You are a child of God and you are anointed and full of power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And on the day of the rapture, you will be raptured into heaven. You shall make it into heaven. I don't know what kind of pit you find yourself in. But today, by the speaking of the blood and by the appropriation of the blood, may you break out of every prison and may you come out of every pit. Maybe yours is a prison of bad health. You are like a walking pharmacy. You are taking drugs all the time. You, you need to take some painkillers in order for you to be well. Every time you are at that time of the month, you need to take drugs. You, 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 you just don't feel fine. You have this chronic headache. You have this chronic back pain. It is a pit. And the Bible is telling us that by the blood of the covenant, the prisoners shall come out of the prison and they shall come out of the pit. May you break out of that pit today in the name of Jesus. Maybe it is a pit of financial lack, chronic brokenness. It's like you are broke, like a fracture. Every time you don't have money, every time there is a leakage in your finances, it is a pit where there is no water. And today, by the blood of the covenant, may you break out of that pit in the name of Jesus. So it breaks people out of pits. Some of you, that weakness of yours is a pit. It is a prison. You have been locked in there for years. But today we appropriate the blood. And we break every prison door. We smash open every prison gate. And we demand your liberty tonight. According to the word of God that says that. Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherein Christ Jesus has made you free. And be not entangled again with the shock of bondage. By the speaking of the blood, let every shock of bondage be broken in the name of Jesus. Bondages of weakness, bondages of lust, bondages of addictions, bondages of perversions. By the speaking of the blood of the covenant, we speak a prison. Somebody say a prison break. Say we speak a prison break. Say a prison break. Let the prison gates be broken tonight. You have been there for too long. 
You are not a prisoner. That weakness has flawed you too many times. It's time to walk in the victory. Wherein Christ Jesus has made you free. And be not entangled again. With the shock of bondage. You need to come out of that pit. Where you have become used to that thing and it's like a part of you. And you have lost that fight. To come out of it. It's like you've just accepted. Let me just be in that pit and be there. Your place is not a pit. Your place is not a prison. But you see, there's a certain prison a lot of believers find themselves in. That is the prison of anticipation. Where there's something you've been anticipating for a very long time. It's a prison of hope. You're locked in the prison of hope. It's not a bad thing to be imprisoned by hope. It's better to be imprisoned by hope than to be imprisoned by despair and faithlessness. So if you are a prisoner of hope, it's not that bad, but it's not the best either. You can't continue to be a prisoner of hope and just be there anticipating that proposal, anticipating that relationship, anticipating that financial breakthrough, anticipating that call that will change your life. And you are there. One year waiting for that call is not coming. Eight months waiting for that call is not coming. Two years waiting for that marriage is not coming. Two years waiting for that man to come. It's not coming. Prisoner of hope. It's good to keep hoping. But you can't continue to be in that prison for too long. You need to break out. You are prisoners of hope. It's good to hope. But you need to break out of that prison into the realm of the realization of the thing that you are hoping for. And it's the blood of the covenant that will do that. Today, as you take this blood, every anticipation in your life, may the Lord begin to work some workings in the spirit. For you to break out of that prison of hope, that letter you have been waiting for, letter of employment, that uncle who has promised you a certain financial help and the call is not coming as you take this wine today may the Lord open doors to miracles things that you have anticipated for a very very long time you have been a prisoner of hope for too long same Zechariah chapter 9 verse 11 now move to the verse 12 there's a message for the prisoners of hope you need to break out of it and turn to your stronghold which is the blood of the covenant it said turn you to the stronghold ye prisoners of hope your stronghold is the blood somebody say the blood come on shout the blood you have been in that place of anticipation for too long but now the Lord is saying turn to your stronghold which is that of Jesus and when you turn look at what he says even today do I declare that I will render double somebody say double say double I'll render double unto thee I'll render double you have been hoping for too long you have been anticipating for too long but today as you break out God is going to give you double when he says he's going to give you double this is not restoration restoration is when you lose something and what you lost is given back to you but there's a higher level called restitution somebody say restitution restitution there is restoration plus interest that means you get what you lost back plus some interest Israel lost their freedom to Egypt that night when the lamb was killed and God went into the land Egypt that same night Egypt let Israel go that means they gave them their freedom back but they didn't just restore their freedom the Bible said God gave them favor with the Egyptians and the Egyptians carried their gold and their silver and they gave it to the people of Israel 
it wasn't just restoration there's restitution i see restitution coming to somebody in the name of jesus after years of waiting after months of waiting after months of anticipation after months of prayer after months of agonizing in the spirit the lord is not just going to restore unto you but he will bring you to the place of restitution restitution it said give and it shall be given unto you that is restoration but the restitution comes in good measure pressed down shaking together running over there shall men get into your bosom and i pray and i prophesy that into your life in the name of jesus christ of nazareth i see the anointing of the double coming upon somebody in the name of jesus there is somebody you have been praying for something you have been agonizing in the spirit for something you have been dreaming about something you have been hoping for something you have been locked up in the prison of hope for a very long time but as you turn to your stronghold which is the blood of jesus the blood that delivers the blood that speaks the blood that that, that speaks better things than the blood of abel let there be a restoration and let there be a restitution for twins receive twins in the name of jesus if you want twins may the lord give you quadruplets in the name of jesus four boys matthew mark luke john you name them like that come we shall dedicate them for you if you believe that is your person shout amen restoration and restitution he said i'll give unto you double ah, you've been praying for that gift that anointing for a very long time you have been desiring to walk in that anointing for a very long time you have been desiring to teach the word you have been desiring to lay hands on the sick for them to recover you have been desiring to worship like joe metal and worship like nathaniel Bassi. but that say the lord as the lord breaks you out of that prison of hope a double portion of that which you have been praying for is coming unto you in the name of jesus if you believe you are the one shout amen double portion if the one you admire in ministry raised 13 dead you raised 26 if he he launched 12 albums you launched 24 if he wrote 12 books you write 24 books that marriage you admire your marriage will be twice better rich man you admire and you wish you had his car your bank account is double of that rich man's bank account some of you your whole aim is that one day i will set foot in america and when we say people who have been to america that's your whole it's like when you do that now you say eh, eh, now I, I i am fulfilled in life about that thing for a very long time the prayer is good but you are coming to the place of realization of that prayer when God wanted to bring Jesus onto the scene Satan must have tried to do all sorts of things in the spirit to stop it and so God had to strategically position two veteran intercessors. I'm talking about Anna the prophetess and Simeon the old man. To intercede and make sure. God told Simeon that you will not see death until the Messiah comes. Somebody, some people think it's an honor God was giving. It was an assignment. That you, you will not die. You are unkillable. You are undiable. Until the Messiah has come. If a simple message from Gabriel to Daniel about the history of Israel caused wars in the heavenlies 21 days how much more when the same Gabriel is bringing news to Mary that with a simple amen will change the course and the destiny of the entire world there must have been wars in the heavens to stop Gabriel but there were two intercessors two veteran intercessors who were on their knees constantly praying and agonizing for the safe delivery and the safe arrival of the Messiah. So the day Jesus
Jesus was taken into the temple to be dedicated. Simeon, I can imagine an old man, probably in his 80s, has agonized in the spirit for years. He saw Jesus Christ. And the Bible said he held him in his hands. He lifted up his voice and said, Now my eyes have seen the consolation of Israel. And now thy servant can depart in peace. In other words, my hands have touched that which I prayed for. I have seen that which I've been agonizing and interceding for. Now I can be dismissed in peace. Let that be your portion in the name of Jesus. Like Simeon, that thing that you have been praying for, that thing that you have been worrying about, that thing that you have been agonizing in the spirit, in the place of prayer for, may your eyes see it. May your hands touch it. May it be tangible in your life. If you believe that is your portion, shout amen. That my eyes have seen the consolation of Israel. The nights of prayer, the days of wailing in the presence of God, the days of hoping, the prisoner of hope. I taught you the power of shouting amen to a word, and I showed you that. When the Bible said, and the word became flesh, the word became flesh in the womb of a woman after she received a word that was delivered by an angel. And that word angel Gabriel went to deliver to Mary was Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. That a virgin shall conceive and he shall deliver a child and he shall be named so so and so. He came and delivered the word and Mary said, be it unto me according to your word be it unto me in contemporary english is let it be and let it be is amen so basically mary just shouted an amen to the word that was delivered and today this messenger of god is going to deliver some messages to you. jesus it's going to deliver some words unto you jesus. and as you shout amen jesus let those words gain flesh amen. and begin to manifest in the physical amen i see you rise above failure amen i see you weaknesses. Amen. I see you rise above weaknesses. Amen. I see you rise above weaknesses. Amen. I see you rise above poverty. Amen. I see you rise above poverty. Amen. I see you rise above sickness. Amen. I see you rise above sickness. Amen. I see you rise above sickness. Amen. I see you rise above death. Amen. I see you rise above death. Amen. I see you rise above doubt. Amen. I see you rise above doubt. Amen.
There was a time you were convicted about something, but you've lost the conviction for that thing. You were convicted, you were convinced, you were excited about something, but the enemy came and stole the conviction, came and stole the joy for that thing. But today, as Jesus rises, let there be a resurrection of that passion in the name of Jesus. That some of you have lost your passion for winning souls. You used to be very passionate about souls. You've just lost the passion like that. You used to be passionate about the work of God, about the things of God. That, that passion is just going like that. You used to be passionate about prayer, intercession. You used to see things happening and you'll be bothered in your spirit. And it's like you feel the edge to go down on your knees and pray for things to change. But that edge is not there anymore. Some of you had an unsatiable hunger for the word. You wanted to always listen to preaching. You always wanted to, to read the word. You always wanted to read books. But something else has taken over that passion. But today as Jesus Christ comes back alive, let that passion well up in your spirit once again. In the name of Jesus. Just like how they shaved Samson and they thought that was the end of him. But they didn't know that as he was in the prison, the Bible said his hair began to grow. I see somebody's hair growing once again and your strength is coming back. The Bible says that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not go weary. They shall walk and they shall not faint. For anybody that is weary, for anybody that is tired, receive strength once again to run the race. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the son of the living God, receive the energy to pursue that agenda once again. I speak a revival into your spirit. You have been dormant in the things of the spirit for too long. Giftings that are dormant, they are not showing up again. You are not sharpening them again. They are not manifesting again. But as I speak the word of God into your spirit this morning, let there be a resurrection of anything that is dormant, of anything that is sleeping, of anything that is dead in your life in the name of Jesus. I don't care the state in which the thing is. It may be dead. It may be rotten. It may have decayed. It may have been left with bones. But even in the time of Ezekiel, the dead bones came back alive after the man of God prophesied upon it. The Bible said, it said, prophesy unto these bones. And as the man of God spoke, the Bible said there was a wind and there was a shaking. I see a shaking taking place in somebody's spirit. I see a stirring taking place in somebody's spirit. I see an agitation taking place in somebody's spirit. I see some holy discomfort in somebody's spirit. I see some holy anger welling up in somebody's spirit. That fishing must come back alive. That dream must come back alive. That aim shall be achieved. You shall reach where God wants you to reach. The enemy shall not stop you. The devil shall not stop you. The witches and wizards shall not stop you. As the Lord liveth, let the Lord alone be true and let every man be a liar. Hey, come on, lift up your voice. Begin to pray. Begin to pray. Activation. Resurrection power.